This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jake E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our first story. Jumpstart Historic Horizons is the newest product revealed for Magic Arena and is the most unique and divisive thing we've seen on this program. Have you noticed how often we've said that this year? Well, this one is so unique to Arena, but they did say they were taking more risk with design right now. Yes, it's apparent. This set has sparked a number of community debates about mechanics and themes. Uh, The largest concern about this set is the existence of digital-only cards, which, as you would expect, are cards that only exist digitally, without any corresponding paper component. The design team's position is that this set is like this because some of the mechanics, which Diz will take us through shortly, are unfeasible or even outright impossible to do through paper. Many of these mechanics involve random cards, getting cards from a player's library without shuffling it, or even just making cards out of nothing. Isn't making cards out of nothing just creature tokens? Not the way these mechanics do, but let's not steal Diz's Thunder quite yet. Alright. Players have largely divided themselves into two camps. Those with very strong opinions and those who are wildly unconcerned. Those strong opinions can also be divided into two camps. Those who are very excited to see the set release on Arena, and those confused about why we can't have some of these cards in paper. There has been a long-standing discussion within the community of how Magic compares to digital-only card games, which have freely done this type of mechanics since their inception. Many design articles have discussed that some things just can't be done because of the paper aspect. This set plays on these past discussions by removing the paper aspect entirely, which has triggered conversations about whether magic is turning into Hearthstone. It's going to kill magic isn't exactly the newest take. And we're not here to make predictions. The community is very divided on whether or not this is a good thing. But is it time for the Mana Vortex to swallow its creator as Jace killed Alhamaret? That remains to be seen. For what it's worth, these previews have shown some effects that seem to have been pulled out of thin air. While continuing to not steal Diz's thunder, one such effect even brings in Tropical Island, one of the OG dual lands, without actually putting it in the set. Another concern some players have is that this is turning Historic into a digital-only format, reducing its availability for when tabletop events return in full. And some Commander-only enthusiasts have stated that if someone can successfully make the appropriate list, whether spreadsheet, index cards, etc., they would be fine with opponents using proxied versions of some of these cards. That makes sense. After all, Commander is the only format with players who widely accept the use of proxies in games. You're not wrong. And another surprise that's prompted conversation is the placement of some Modern Horizons 1 and 2 cards in the set, which wasn't on anyone's radar until now. 
There's quite a lot going on with the set overall, so instead of speculating, we'll go over to Diz to get more info on how these abilities are supposed to work. Thanks, Jenk, and you're right, there's an awful lot going on with this set. We have three new mechanics or terms specific to this set, Seek, Perpetually, and Conjure. Spells that seek will go to your library for you and grab a random card that matches a specific criteria, like a land or creature, and put it into your hand. There's no deck shuffling, and the caster gets no say in the specific card. I guess this ability makes sense in digital only, seeing as there's no real way to meet all of those criteria on paper. While that's true for seek cards, it could be argued that isn't true for spells with the word perpetually in their abilities. These spells make a permanent change to cards for the rest of the game, no matter which zone it's in once the change is made. For example, a new spell, Ethereal Grasp, taps a creature and perpetually gives that card. This creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step, as well as pay 8, untap this creature. If the targeted creature dies or gets sent back to its owner's hand, it will still retain those effects until the game ends. Well, that one would be a bit difficult to track, especially if you have multiple copies of the same card. But it could be done in paper form, I guess. What exactly does Conjure mean, though? Well, think of it in terms of the wish spells from Magic's past, except that you don't have to actually own the card. The spell will just put it into your hand. The most notable example so far is the new Davriel Cellbroker. One of his abilities causes his controller to accept an offer and a condition. The ability will generate three of each of the eight available to choose from, the offer being good for the controller and the term being a downside. One of his abilities conjures the creature Manor Guardian, putting it into your hand out of the Aether. Which card makes Tropical Island? Can that one conjure anything else? That would be Tome of the Infinite. It can make Swords to Plowshares, Light of Hope, Ponder, Force Spike, Dark Ritual, Duress, Lightning Bolt, Assault Strobe, Giant Growth, and Fog. The set will be available on Arena from August 12th to 31st and will function just like the original Jumpstart where players build a deck out of two packs. Kit. Our next story. Commander has undergone several changes in the last few months, some of which we discussed in our last episode. One of the headlines around the format has been repeated discourse over casual versus competitive power levels. The biggest fan of casual magic on the CAG, Shivam Bhatt, sat down with Jank to discuss. Okay, uh, I'm here with uh, Shivam Bhatt. Shivam, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It is our incredible pleasure. Um, Shivam, if you wouldn't mind, uh, for our listeners, could you give a quick introduction of who you are, what you do with the Commander Advisory Group, and how you got into magic? <laughs> a quick introduction. <laughs> hey, quickly run over your entire life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, that's a that's a humdinger of a question right there. So uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, as you said, I'm Shivam Bhatt. Um, I'm a member of the Commander Advisory Group. So what that means is I'm one of 10 people who uh, goes to the Commander Rules Committee, which are the four gents that are in charge of Commander, and I tell them what I think about the format, what I think problem cards are, or what I think is going well or poorly, and what the community thinks. And I kind of synthesize that into a way that they can... Um, take the data in 
interpret it and then figure out how they want to direct the format. So if the RC is the Supreme Court, then the CAG is sort of like the lawyers who are arguing cases in front of them. Um, hmm. So I, um, I'm i a big part of that, and I'm also very loud on Twitter, so I definitely uh, <laughs> get the lion's share of uh, comments from the audience regarding this stuff, which is totally fine. I know what I'm here for. Um, and then uh, I also put out a podcast every Tuesday called Casual Magic, where I sit and do interviews with people, something similar to this. Okay. Um, you you said yourself, it's basically your entire life that you've been involved with magic. Um, I've heard your story through your podcast or other interviews you've done. Uh, when exactly did you get started with the game, and how did it develop into you being the biggest pusher of casual magic <laughs> literally on the planet? That, you know, it's wild to think about, right? Like, that's pretty nuts <laughs> to just imagine uh, what that actually means. Um, I I started playing Magic in, I think, my seventh grade. So in 1993 or four. So when I started playing Magic, The Dark had just come out. Revised was either just out or just coming out. Um, so way, way back in the dawn of the history of the game. And in my band class, I heard some kids talking about dragons and fireballs and things. And I thought they were talking about D&D, which I was also very big into. And I went over there and I saw them playing a card game. And my friend's like, yeah, you give me 20 bucks and I'll give you a deck. And he built me a, a blue. And he was like, yeah, there are five colors. Which one do you want? And I saw that like the card there was Shivan Dragon. And I was so mad that it misspelled my name. And I was like, <laughs> whatever the opposite of this red is, I want to be that. So he built me a white blue, like kind of walls controly deck. And that was my first deck. It had a tundra. It had like sea serpents and water elementals and Mahamodi jins and counter spells and all that sort of thing. And I played for many years. You know, we played like the traditional every card we own format. And like um, I played through like Visions Mirage and I was pretty good. I mean, my friends and I, we were all super into the game. And then, like, you know, Mirage came out and they were like, yeah, we're going to be adding phasing and flanking. And I'm like, phasing and flanking? We don't need new mechanics. Magic is perfect. Just give us more magic cards. We don't need all this stuff. is going to ruin the game forever. And so we basically kind of just all decided to quit because it was like, there's no way this game is going to survive stuff like phasing and flanking. And uh, simultaneously, um, my brother had my deck with all of my duels and my, like, you know, super rares and everything in his backpack and it got lifted in junior high school. So I had a plenty good reason to just stop playing because um, suddenly all my cards were gone. Oof. Uh, and it, it was sad, truly sad. You know, you never forget those days when you're like, I lost all of my dual lands. And I'll never, I mean, that was like, now it's something like that deck was something like $12,000 worth of cards. Oh, gosh. Um, but I mean, back then it was a lot of money too. It was just, right. you know, in the in the tens of dollars and not the thousands of dollars. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so like, you know, I kind of faded out of Magic for a while. I went back to D&D. In college, um, magicthegathering.com started and I was like, I used to read the TSR website for D&D stuff. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, Magic, I remember that. And Mark Rosewater used to write articles and still does. And they're really interesting. So I just kept reading them. So I kept my, you know, finger in the game, but I didn't go back to playing it. I played other CCGs like Magi Nation or Legend of Five Rings or whatever. 
And uh, then around Innistrad time, or like, you know, around Duels of the Planeswalker 2011, got me reinterested in the game. Going to PAX, or in, not 2011, maybe 2009, whenever that was. Because I played a lot of Chandelar, and I was like, oh, I love playing Magic. And it's on the Xbox. Sure, I'll give it a try. I remember this game. This was fun. So like 2009, he comes back. Uh, I start digging in again. My friend takes me to my first ever draft, and it's for Rise of the Eldrazi. And the uh-huh. first card I see in the rare is Sarkin the Mad. And I'm like, what uh-huh. the hell is this? It's a it's a planeswalker. It's upside down. I thought it had summoning sickness. I didn't understand anything. Um, and then I like, you know, obviously blow out of that draft real bad. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm still reading the site. And Innistrad was coming. And I was super like taken by the idea of zombies and vampires and traditional looking magic. And I went back to my store, uh, to the open house. I did a pre-release. I was super hooked. Worlds was uh, in town that year and I was unemployed. So I went to Worlds and I learned there were $5 drafts at World Championships for Innistrad. And so I was like, I'll go do that. I'll learn how to do this. But you know who drafts on a Wednesday at World Championships? It's generally like Team Finland or Team Japan or, you know, the best players in the world who are waiting for their tournament to start. And I'm just a scrub who literally just picked up Magic again for the first time in 15 years. And I'm drafting with like, you know, I'm having full drafts in Japanese because I'm still fluent at that time. And it was wild and weird and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just getting blown out of the water. And at the end of the day, it's like nights falling. And I'm like, well, this was fun, but I'm getting screwed and this sucks and I kind of hate it. And I play a sealed draft a sealed deck and i get blown out by my opponent and i'm just like oh man forget it i'm just gonna give up magic and my opponent's like well now hang on let me look at your deck and he's looking and he's like well you've got the general idea you need 23 you know cards and 17 lands and he kind of walks me through how to build a pool he's like you've got the you got a good start here you're doing pretty good and i was like wow man thank you so much and that ended up being uh you know at the time uh Magic the Gathering online champion Reed Duke, who had just smashed me <laughs> at his first world. <laughs> and then I remember because like, like I was, you know, waiting in line to go to the, um, they were doing spell slinging. So you could meet the uh, people who do Magic the Gathering stuff and like, you know, talk to them. And I sat and I played against Mark Rosewater with my Elspeth duels decks and he drew a token soldier for me. And that ended up starting my obsession with getting uh, hand-drawn tokens from members of Watsi R&D. Um, I played against Mark Gottlieb and he taught me why people play fetch lands. I was like, why would you just want to lose life for a land that doesn't do anything? This is garbage. Why would you do this? And he's like, well, there's deck thinning and there's color fixing. I'm like, eh, but really? Is that important? <laughs> of course, that was the year that Junior um, Idanaga won with um, his insane Amulet Titan, or not Amulet, but it was just like primeval titan Kessig wolfron deck oh, yeah. that took like 40 minutes to play because he would pile shuffle after every time he fetched and in a prime time deck you're fetching every turn so it took like it took hours <laughs> to play but um yeah so like that marks when i actually came back to magic and like became like i started to get into the community because like D my D setting dragonlance died and i was like okay well um i need something to do and I bought a box of Innistrad and my wife bought me a box of Dark Ascension and like Corset for Christmas that year or whatever. And I'm just like, wow, this is fun. And I started getting back into it, going to the stores. Um, my dear friend started making videos about that store and he, he made this YouTube channel about some educator. I think he called himself the professor. And um, so he started making videos about like equipment that you could buy for magic stuff. 
And I was like, this is weird and trippy. And I discovered magic Twitter and um, like magic Tumblr. And I got super into that. And I also at that time discovered commander, which was like, wow, you can take all the cards you remember from your childhood and play them again with your favorite legends. Tim Willoughby had done uh, an article on the website where he put up a grim grin zombies deck. And I was like, I love zombies. And I cracked a grim grin and pre-release. Let me build this. And then the commander pre-cons had just come out. And so I went to target and I picked up three of them and I was hooked. I was completely hooked. And my favorite card of all time was a Kaldoran outpost is a alliances land that makes soldier tokens. And I was like, I want to build a deck around this card. And that led to my Tajik soldiers deck. And from there discovering commander, like the first time I discovered commander, I was on my message boards and my friends and I decided to play magic by post. It took, we played, we had a five way star game of commander that we played by post. It took almost a month and a half of daily posting and stuff to get through the entire game. And by the end of it, I was like, well, I love magic now. And, but what I've always loved about commander, especially is that it lets you be creative without having to chase a meta. It lets you be creative without having to always be cutting edge. And more importantly, it allowed you permission to play silly, foolish cards that don't work anywhere else. Mahomodi Jins, you know, a 5-6 flyer vanilla that's literally pointless, right? But in Commander, sure, you can run it. They'll laugh at you, but you can run it. Soul Ring, <laughs> one of my favorite cards of all time. You can't play anywhere else, but you can play in Commander. And mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved the idea of Commander as a format, which is not tournament driven, which was not competitive focused, but just a place that you could remember what it was like to be in middle school, throwing cards down between math class on the sidewalk when you're just scratching them around and playing 15 way games with all your friends after school, because <laughs> you can't decide how to make a pod. And you're like, whatever, I just have mono flare and I fireball all of you, you know, like <laughs> uh, after I make infinite mana with my enduring renewal, my ornithopter and Ashnode's altar combo. And, it's just like, okay, well, Commander, let's just do silly magic and fun magic. But I wasn't like initially just like hardcore mm-hmm. casual. Like that's something, like I was, I mean, I I love like super powerful decks. I play super powerful decks. I love like doubling seasons, one of my favorite cards of all time, right? Like um, I just like to have super like strong and explosive decks. What I don't like is the mentality of super efficient decks. I don't like the idea that you have to always be playing the best thing. I don't like having to make the best move every turn. I hate the idea that there is a right way to play. And that's what I fought back against. Cause I started to see that in a lot of things. Like I joined the commander in podcast and I became like, you know, very much just the excited to be here type of guy. Right. Like I love magic for magic's sake. Right. And, it would make me sad to see things that I would be like, look, we could do this cool, you know, silly thing. And then someone would pick it up and turn it into like an infinite combo that then wins a pro tour or something. And I'm like, this is like my first ever preview card was, uh, God was, um, God Pharaoh's gift. You remember that very <laughs> casual oh, card. Oh gosh. Like, the, <laughs> you know and i was like oh look i can use this to reanimate like some zombies or something that'll be pretty neat and then of course the next week it's like you know the pro tour deck the pro tour winning deck is gpg (laughs) and all this but what happened like i've like i've always been a casual i mean i hate the word casual 
but I've always been a, a relaxed kind of magic player. Like I'm here to chill. I'm here to play with my friends. I'm here to revel in the joy of hanging out with people over cards. And what I've noticed in commander, especially in the past like four or five years has been this, like, especially since like EDH rec, especially since, you know, game nights or even before game nights, command zone, like uh, the command zone effect of uh, optimization of people wanting to have the coolest, best thing, not just the coolest thing, and just be like, oh man, I got to beat my friends. And the meta going from your table to being the world. And then suddenly you want to just make bigger and better and stronger and better and stronger and better decks until mm -hmm. you're winning on turn one, turn two. And I was like, whoa, guys, we're not vintage. This format was made so that I can do stupid things that I play villainous wealth, or I can play like, you know, Gilded Lotus and have it mean something. Or I can play like, you know, 12 casting cost junkers that don't live. Like, you remember back in the day, we used to look at cards in like when they would come out in, um, <laughs> in like, you know, you would look at the set preview and you would see a card and it would be like omniscience or something. And you would be like, oh, what is that? Like 12 mana. That's like some kind of commander card. What is this garbage? Right. I live for that. I want that era of magic <laughs> where it's like commander cards are the extra trash that you're playing i want the stuff that you have to dig through the bottom of the barrel at your um lgs and find this random rare from mercadian masks that suddenly lets your deck function in a way that you never imagined before that's what i was here for and everyone on the like once i started getting onto the i mean that's why they invited me on the cag right because like they're like look shivan's got an, a perspective on commander which is very much the kitchen table player which is the person who's here to just enjoy themselves, play all the cards they own, make a cool theme deck that's not like the most clever deck in the world. But it's like, oh, look, it's all my tribal sapperlings deck. <laughs> or, oh, look, this is like a deck that's like all just, you know, um, whatever it is, like a treasures deck or something, right? Like, it's not going to be the most efficient, most effective way to play it. Like, I'm not one of those people who can just grab two partner commanders for their colors and then use them to be the most optimal deck on the planet. I hate that. I hate uh -huh. the idea that people can just go and take like four or five colors, put the best cards of those colors into that deck and ignore the idea of a theme. That bothers me a lot. Like I really, really want Commander to be a place where you're exploring. You're not just playing good stuff, you know, Thassa's Oracle, Ad Nauseam, you know, whatever garbage. I want you to be sitting there going like, Yo, so uh, this is my slime foot spore counters deck, or like you know, tribal tribal, or uh, you know, this is my like fresh volunteers deck where I play all. I want that. I want things like that. I want things where you have to actually sit and work, and not even work, but just like put some effort into it, man. Just right. Just make it like fun. Like, I feel like a lot of Commander just forgets about fun. Like, people have just started optimizing to the point of wanting to win all the time. Right. And winning is fun, but it's not nearly as fun as doing cool things. No, no, no. I mean, I guess that's how I kind of became, like, you know, the flag bearer for casual. Because I saw that... Because, look, when you look at content being made, content that is made for Magic and Commander especially always leans towards the spiky, always leans towards the optimized, always leans towards the uber efficient cedh style of stuff because people always want to know what is the card i should be playing instead of the card i'm playing what is the new stuff what is the best stuff what is the hot stuff and what i realized is that we have lost track 
of like the kitchen table player who just wants to build, who just found a Soren and wants to build a vampire's deck, right? Like, you know, I want those players to also have a voice. And that's kind of what I found that my niche is in the community is that, look, everybody can sit and tell you to play fast as Oracle or dock sided extortionist. Everybody can sit there and say like, yeah, Najila or Goto helm or whatever, but not everybody's doing that. Right. Like there right. are people out there who are sitting there going like, yo, I've got a deck that's all about curses, right? Like <laughs> I've got yes. a deck that's all about like playing, um, like I've built an entire deck based around star Wars or on dragon ball <laughs> Z, you know, like I want those people to still have a voice in the community. The full interview can be found at mtgnexus.com. In a follow-up to last episode's top story, we now know the identity of the newest co-host of the Magic Mike's podcast, MTG Nerd Girl. MTG Nerd Girl is a writer for Cool Stuff, Inc., the lead sponsor for Magic Mike's. She's also highly involved in the competitive scene, so she'll be able to provide a good perspective from standard and historic for new sets. The first episodes featuring the new cast were published on July 29th and 30th, and reviews for the new cast are pretty good so far. We at WNXS News congratulate MTG Nerd Girl and look forward to seeing her thrive in this new role. It's time for a break, and when we come back, we'll discuss even more historic news, as well as go to ISO to hear about the upcoming gauntlet and some announcements regarding announcements. Hi, Janky here on behalf of MTGNexus.com. Are you looking for a site to talk about the latest magic news? Find new brews to take your decks to the next level. Talk about the latest topics? Ask people's advice? Listen to great interviews? Or just hang out? Have I got the website for you? MTGNexus.com has all this and more. You can even see us go head-to-head at twitch.tv slash mtgnexus and talk to us about the game. mtgnexus.com I'll see you there. Welcome back. In our final bit of historic news, Brainstorm has now been suspended in the format. For any listeners unfamiliar with the term, this is a sort of soft ban on a card to measure how its absence affects the format with the possibility of it leaving suspension if the format is largely unchanged. Come to think of it, has any card actually been taken off suspension without being banned? Not a single one. That's what I thought. Then why bother with suspension? Honestly, I have no idea, and we're not the only two asking this question. Ah, another avenue for things to land in the mana vortex, I see. In any event, the reasoning behind the suspension was much like the last historic ban, format diversity. Homogeneity in any competitive format is considered a negative trait, and Wizards always tries to avoid it if they can. That's typically the logic behind any given ban of formats outside of Commander. Exactly. 
Speculation from players puts this suspension as becoming a permanent ban before too long, but we'll be sure to let you know with any further updates. We'll see if the Mana Vortex consumes it or gives it back. Release weekend for this episode will also see the Challenger Gauntlet taking place. So we'll head to ISO to hear more about that event. ISO? Thank you, Jake. With Adventures in the Forgotten Realms officially released and in Standard and Historic, we're ready for the next four spots in the World Championships to be claimed. Both Day 1 and Day 2 will have three rounds of Historic, followed by three rounds of Standard. At the end of Day 2, there will be a cut to the top 12 for the third day. Each match will be best of three instead of best of one, with intentional draws as well as concessions being banned in the tournament. This will be the next to last qualifier weekend for the World Championship, with the last being September 2nd to 5th, and hosting both the Rivals and MPL gauntlets. Kit. Thank you, Iso. Well, we almost made it a week without a story about someone being awful, but thanks to one Etsy shop, that's going to be a no. Card protection maker Shipping Shield stumbled upon an item for sale on the popular platform that is a little bit suspect, to put it politely. The store was selling Wizards of the Coast branded shrink wrap labeled as Booster Box Shrink Wrap. That does seem to be suspicious, especially with all the recent reports of people buying new booster boxes on sites like Amazon or eBay, but when opening them for the first time, all of the packs are already opened. Precisely. Shipping Shield reached out to Wizards on Twitter, making sure the company was aware of the issue, and the item is now no longer listed on the site. The common speculation is that independent sellers are using them to cheat people out of actual booster boxes, keeping valuable cards for themselves. Which raises the question, why can't Amazon help keep the real boxes and the independent boxes separate? Well, the problem starts at the Amazon Fulfillment Centers. They often store similar products in the same area or shelves of the warehouse, not bothering to separate based on the seller. This means that when the boxes are pulled, there's no way to know if they're authentic or not. This serves as an important lesson regarding where people buy their booster boxes. A local game store is almost always a more reliable option, and many of them have started selling online, especially since the pandemic. If you have no other choice than Amazon, eBay, or other third-party retailers, be watchful. And don't be afraid to report issues like this to Wizards if you have any. They may not always listen to the community, but their customer service for issues with standard products is usually very quick to respond and help rectify these issues. Our final story for this episode. The latest announcement from Wizards about the next announcement we should expect has been made. And if there's one thing we all love, it's more reasons to say the word announcement. 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 So, are you going to tell us what's in this not the real announcement announcement? 
Showcase 2021 will be the show-off stream for the scheduled 2022 sets, letting us know where we should expect to visit in our interplanar travels. It will also give an update of the supplemental sets, which already have some rumors regarding the possibility of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Not to mention the things we already know about, like Warhammer Commander and Lord of the Rings, the magic set. That's right. I'd almost forgotten about my precious. That was unsettling. And on that note, that's all for this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.